It's our tradition here at City Church to do a series that's uh, focused on relationships in the month of February. Uh, many of you uh, consider the month of February the month of love. Uh, in a few days, several of you will be celebrating with your significant other uh, one of the most cherished uh, days on the calendar, which is Valentine's uh, Day. And so intentionally and strategically for the last six years, Wendy and I have chosen to dedicate the month of February to messages that focus on relationships. In fact, for the first five years, uh, we did a series called Relation Slips, which is an intentional play on words. And uh, it was an opportunity for us to tackle the missteps that many of us make uh, in our interpersonal relationships. Uh, this year, we're going to do exactly that, but it's going to be a little bit more uh, encompassing. It's not just limited to the relationship between a man and a woman. It's going to touch all of our relationships, including our professional relationships, our personal relationships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's the first time, man, in six years that I haven't done this series with my wife. She will be with us next week. Uh, she's not here today. I'm going to do my best, man, to do this without my boo. Just ain't the same. But she will be back in the house next Sunday. Everybody say, oh. Yes, yes, yes. I had to, I, was, I thought y'all were going to do that just like automatically, but now I had to prompt y'all, but it's all good. It's all good. Uh, so we're going to kick off this series, Radical Love, You Before Me. Such a powerful principle, man. That we begin to consider what the love of God looks like. It's a love that begins to challenge our selfishness. Because the love of God is rooted and grounded in being others-centered. Yes, There's no such thing as following Jesus in love and simultaneously being self-centered. In fact, there is absolutely nothing about the love of God that is selfish. There is absolutely nothing about the love of God that puts self first. And the reason that is critically important for us today at City Church and for the church of Jesus Christ is because Jesus himself, these are the words in red. Jesus said, this world will know that we are Christ followers because of our love. Jesus said, our love one for the other will be our business card, our calling card, our brand. And you've heard me say this, this before. The world doesn't have a problem with Jesus. The world has a problem with this lousy PR firm called the church. And we have misrepresented him over and over and over and over again. And one of the places where we fail is in our love walk. In how we respond to and treat one another. And this is not just limited to the way we treat our spouses and our children. It's not just limited to the way we treat church folk. It touches every relationship that we have. Yet Jesus says the world will know that we are his by how well we love. And, and so let's pump the brakes there. You don't have to raise your hand, but I just want you to begin to consider. How are you doing 
with this whole idea of you before me? When was the last time someone else was at the forefront of your thoughts and not you yourself? Not what you wanted and not what your rights were and not demanding your way and not demanding that everybody else conform to your way. And I really thought I was going to talk about something really romantic and lovey-dovey to make y'all hold hands. It's going to be tight up in here this morning. <laughs> kind of glad Pastor Wendy ain't here, too. Amen. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Fantastic. So of all the texts, Tony, that I could have chosen, to kick off this series, man, I thought John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you before me. He so loved the world, you before me. I thought about Esther, who put her own life on the line to save six million Jews from annihilation. And she said, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to see this king uninvited. And if it costs me my life, I know that I would have done my part to save my people, you before me. The scripture is filled with examples of selflessness that has saved lives and redeemed nations and even redeemed our world. But somehow, in our world today, it's lost on us. Our every decision is motivated and driven by how this will impact me and how this will affect me. And we are so far removed from the principles we see in the Bible of radical love, you before me. Consider that. When was the last time you put someone ahead of yourself? No, you first. No, what? no, 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 that's fine. What do you want? No, baby, I'm sorry. You know what? Let's do it your way. When was the last time you gave up your right to be right? When was the last time? Because in America, that's what we believe. That's my right! And in Hebrew, there is no word for coincidence, but one of the words that's missing from Hebrew is the word rights. The closest word to the word rights in Hebrew is the word responsibility. And you before me is not about our Christian rights. It's about our Christian responsibility one to another to prefer my brother and to defer to my brother ahead of myself. Then we have missed the mark. Missed the mark. So this morning will be the beginning of recalibrating our lives, all of our lives, myself included, to the word of God. I'll say that again. We will recalibrate, for those who are willing, we will recalibrate our lives and recalibrate our hearts to God's word. Because you and I cannot get God's results doing things our way. 
You can pray until you're blue in the face. You and I, and I'm including myself, cannot get God's results doing things our way. And most unanswered prayers are the direct result of principles that we've disobeyed. Y'all miss that. You can pray until you're black in the face. It is not going to happen until you obey the principle in God's word. So you can pray for your relationship, your marriage to be restored. It will not happen until you begin to live you before me. It ain't happening. You can call a prayer meeting. Fast for 21 days plus. Because the scripture says obedience is better than sacrifice. You can give all you want. You can pray all you want. You can help the poor in Manila. But your marriage ain't going to change until you before me. Okay. Uh, we... we we're not sure about that, but let, let's go back to the genesis of this thing. And so, so I saw, man, I was looking for all these cute, lovey-dovey scriptures. I went to Song of Solomon, and I was like, man, that's the love chapter of all love chapters. It's poetic. It's beautiful. There's metaphors. There's similes. There's uh, all this beautiful, flowery language. I said, let's, we're going to be talking about relationships and love. Let's start there. And uh, I just couldn't shake this. I kept coming back to James chapter 4. No, no, it's faux. Faux. Yeah, yeah. Pastor Ray is 40 faux. Sitting on faux faux. <laughs> oh, snap. Y'all ain't ready. And y'all know my wife ain't here, so <laughs> we, <laughs> y'all ain't trouble. Yes, sir. Sitting on faux faux. Oh. Give me some that, baby. You're right there with me. I saw you. You know what I'm talking about. So James chapter 4, James chapter 4, bring it back in now. Bring it back in. It's where we lift our key text for this series of messages, uh, in particular today's message. We'll begin reading at verse number 1. This is, this is from the New King James Version of the Bible. Check it out. Uh, Scripture declares, where do wars and fights come from among you. <laughs> Let's stop right there. <laughs> Y'all don't, don't, don't look at this screen. I don't want you to read past me. Right. Where do wars and fights and conflict and strife, where, where does it originate? What is the source of this thing? Because all around the world, everywhere you go, in every counseling session, there's a war, there's conflict, there's struggle, somewhere going on. And if you're like me, you want to know where is this thing coming from? The source of wars and strife and struggle and relational conflict. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Do they not come from evil desires that are at war Within you? What's, what's the source of it? What's the source of all the strife in our world? It starts right here with the enemy in a me. 
That's where it starts. Let's read the text. What is the cause? What's causing the quarrels and fights in your marriage? What's causing the quarrels and fights on your job? What's causing the quarrels and fights when you parent? What's causing the quarrels and strife with your neighbor? What's causing the quarrels and strife in all of your interpersonal relationships? Don't they come from the evil desires that's war, at war within you? Keep on going. You want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill to get it. You are what? Jealous of what others have. But you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you do not have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And the very next verse says, and even when you ask, you ask with the wrong motive. Every conflict that you and I will ever experience originates in human selfishness. I like to think about this one. Middle letter in the word sin is I. Middle letter in the word pride is I. Every problem in our world originates with our self-centeredness. The problems we have in our marriages, the conflict that we have one with another, selfishness. And selfishness always puts self first with no regard for God or others. So we're going to learn a couple of lessons on how to live you before me from a somewhat obscure character from the scriptures named John the Baptist. We don't hear a whole lot of preaching about John the Baptist. But when it comes to living a you before me life, John the Baptist takes the cake, y'all. And we're going to unpack the text and discover how and why he did it. Listen to what John the Baptist said in John chapter 3 and verse 30. We'll read it in several translations. He said, he, speaking of Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Somebody say you before me. When was the last time, when was the last time that you had an opportunity for self-promotion that you put someone else ahead of you? This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the number one preacher of his day. People are coming to the desert. This is before Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Vines, Snapchat. And these people were coming in multitudes, not to the city, but they were coming to the desert to be baptized by a man who wore camel's skin and ate honey and locusts. Can I pump the brakes right there? Let's go back to James chapter 4. What did he say the problem was? You want what you don't have. Y'all see that? The problem with most of us 
is that we first haven't, we haven't learned the first lesson, which is to simply be grateful for who God created us to be, the way he created us to be, and to be comfortable in our own skin. We miss that. The reason what somebody else looks more attractive to you is because you haven't celebrated and embraced what God has already given you. And so the allure of what everybody else has is more appealing than celebrating something that God made. And let me tell you this, it is impossible. It is impossible to celebrate and honor someone else when secretly you want what they have. Never. I can't live you before me with Pastor Jesse. If secretly in my heart, Pastor Jesse has something that I want. And we spend our days and we spend our weeks exchanging the life that God gave us for a better life that we perceive in others. And John the Baptist wasn't trying to be nobody but him. And you and I can never get to a you-before-me lifestyle until we embrace who God uniquely created us to be, even if that means I'm going to wear camel skin the rest of my life and eat honey and locusts. I'm not going to try to be anybody but who God created in me. And notice, when he felt comfortable in who God created him to be, he didn't have to go after the multitudes. The multitudes came to him. And you think that by pretending to be somebody else, exchanging the life God gave you for somebody else's life will make people love you more? Ain't happening. John the Baptist was simply being John the Baptist. Lady came to our church one time and said, uh, man, he got up to preach, and I was like, man. Actually, when he got up, I said, I was said to myself, when's the pastor going to get up to preach? Because you weren't dressed like a pastor. Right. Faux, <laughs> faux. And as trivial as that may seem, people have put pressure on me from day one. Dress like a pastor, dude. Put on a jacket, put on a tie, people respect you more. If you can't respect me in my skinny jeans and toms, <laughs> I'm not the one with the problem. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you, boo? That's where the problem's coming from. We don't give per people permission to be themselves. Husbands, wives, you want them to conform to your image of what you think they should be. And I cannot live the you before me lifestyle until I embrace all of who God created me to be. 
In marriage, if two of you are identical, one of you becomes unnecessary. And that's why most people head to divorce court. I'm talking. Because somebody in the marriage insists that you have to conform to who I want you to be, and I'm not going to give you permission to be uniquely you. And we end up with two clones in the bed, exactly alike. I'm talking about this in all of our relationships. I cannot celebrate you, Terrell, if secretly in my heart I covet something you have. Because now my self-worth is measured by what someone else has. And the Bible says that is the source. That is the source of all strife and conflict in our lives. The very next verse is, you want what you don't have. So you steal and you kill to get it. You want it so bad that it doesn't matter who you kill in the process, who you defraud in the process. You want this fake life so much that you will do whatever it takes and you lose yourself in the process. Yeah, people do it when they're dating. And you end up marrying someone who you thought they were. And then you get back home and they take off the mask. It's almost like, I'm going to get you, sucker. <laughs> Remember you took old girl home? Head start coming off. Arms start coming off. Legs start coming off. She looked good in the club, though. And what was, yeah, yeah, right? And we, we. No, this is, right. It's real talk. And we don't even stop long enough to say that in our hypocrisy, we're attracting people who don't even know the real me. They're attracted to who they think I am. Pump the brakes. They're attracted to who I have made them think I am. And how many of you realize that pretending is exhausting? You can fake the funk for a year, two years, at some point, you're going to reach a pain threshold, and the real you will stand up. John the Baptist didn't try to be anybody else. He didn't try to dress like a Pharisee in fancy robes. He didn't try to put phylacteries on his head. He didn't try to have the most prominent seat in the temple. He went out to the desert, and multitudes came to him. Let me, read, let me read these verses where John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. I have it in several translations. In the New Living Translation, this is John concerning Jesus. He says, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Let me stop there for a second. John the Baptist is the number one preacher of the day. Jesus shows up. And God gives John the Baptist this supernatural insight and said, look, man, that guy is the Messiah, even though 
Jesus is John the Baptist's cousin. Remember, he's, John the Baptist is the son of Elizabeth. Mary has Jesus. She goes to Elizabeth's house. When they meet for the first time, John the Baptist is kicking and Jesus is kicking back. They were cousins. But in this moment, John the Baptist makes this divine announcement. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And from that day, y'all, some of John the Baptist's disciples started to follow Jesus. Peter and John, read the text. They left John the Baptist to follow Jesus. And then one day, a whole group of people came to John the Baptist and said, this is what they do. Have you ever been around some people who are just instigators? John the Baptist doing what he always did. Service ain't as packed as it used to be, but he's still faithfully baptizing people. So people show up, hey man, <clears throat> you remember that guy you let preach at your church last week? He's baptizing more people than you. What you gonna do about it? In fact, some of your own disciples left you and now they're walking with Jesus. That guy you gave the job to, that guy you gave the opportunity to, you're the one who announced him. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody gave him the time of day. Before you endorsed him, all he was was just a carpenter's son. And here you are giving this guy a platform, and look at how he repaid you. Took your people. And Jesus' earthly ministry started with a church split. Yet, Jesus, yet John the Baptist says, you before me. You before me. From this day forward, I will become less and less, and he will become greater. People who live the you before me life are not afraid that the success of those who come after them might eclipse theirs. Y'all miss that. If I give this dude an opportunity, man, he's going to be greater than I am. So I'm going to put my thumb on him right here. He will go no further and I'll keep him stuck in this back room. Because if I give him an opportunity, his success might eclipse mine. You before me. Are you willing to fade to black so that God's plan and purpose, which you are a part of, can be... Uh, can be executed through somebody else. It's amazing how much we could accomplish as the church if we were less concerned about who got the credit. What does it matter? If John the Baptist is baptizing them or Jesus baptizing them, people are still getting baptized. And I've seen it long enough that Christians block other people's progress because their name ain't going to be on it. And the scripture says that's where all the wars and striving comes from in our relationships, even in our marriages. Can I, can I tell you? Listen, listen to what he said in the voice translation. It says, Jesus the groom must take center stage and I the best man must step to his side. Y'all ain't ready. 
Y'all ain't ready. <laughs> Y'all ain't ready. Remember what we read in James chapter 4? We want what we don't have. John the Baptist knew that I will never be the groom, no matter how hard I try. God created me to be the best man, and I am settled and confident in that place. I'm not going to covet the groom's position. I'm thankful and I'm grateful that for the rest of my life, all I will ever be to Jesus is second. All I will ever be is a faithful and reliable, trustworthy, best man. I'm not going to try to be the Messiah. I'm not going to try to be the groom. I'm thankful to even be invited to the wedding and to stand side by side with Messiah. And you can never get to the you before me lifestyle if you are created to be the best man and you secretly want to be the groom. You can't surrender to Jesus if you want to be him. Second thing, be careful not to let people make you into something you're not. When these clowns came to John the Baptist, you know what I told him? He said, man, who are you? He said, man, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He said, no, nah, man, you must be Elijah. Because only Elijah is supposed to do this stuff, not you. And people will try to make you change who God created you to be. All of the enemy's deceptions begin with an identity crisis. Hmm? Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3. The scripture says that God created Adam and Eve in his image and after his likeness. When Satan came, he said, no, 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 no. God is withholding something from you because if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like him. Weren't they already like him? Weren't they already created in his image and after his likeness? And the world will deceive us into thinking that God is withholding something from you, that I can give you something better than what God gave you because what God gave you is second rate. Be careful who you allow to speak into your life to convince you to do something God didn't create you to do. People who will tell you, man, you're supposed to be the groom. You ain't no best man. You better than Jesus, man. You started this thing. We started from the bottom, now we're here. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wrong song, wrong song. I'm about to wrap up. I wish I had more time. I'm just going to read this to you from my notes. John the Baptist was able to live the you before me life because he was comfortable being John the Baptist. If you're not comfortable being you, short, tall, black, white, long hair, short hair, rich, poor, whatever it is, if you're not comfortable in your own skin, this you before me life becomes impossible. That's the first hurdle to overcome. I have to be comfortable being the best man and let somebody else be the groom. And when I recognize that I'm the best man, then I can serve the groom and I can defer to the groom and I can prefer the groom. 
Until then, I will continue to compete. What does that mean? Be comfortable in your own skin. God never created anybody to be the best. He created us to be our best self. Okay. As long as you are trying to be the best, as long as you are trying to be the best, instead of being your best self, you will continue to measure your life against someone else. And two things will result. Let me make it crystal clear. You will either walk away from that comparison with a deflated self-image, because there's always going to be people who are better than you at what you do. Or you will walk away with an inflated self-image because there will always be people that you do it better than. The question is never, is somebody doing it better than me or am I doing it better than someone else? The question is always, am I my best self in this moment? Listen to what the scripture says. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. There were people bragging and boasting about their resume and what they knew and their education and their accomplishments. And Paul said we dare not compare ourselves with those who go around bragging and boasting. And there are a lot of people right here in our church who only get their sense of self-worth if they can one-up you. They are only secure as long as they're one step ahead of the people around them. That is the recipe for a very miserable life. And you will never be able to serve them because you are constantly threatened by them. He goes on and says, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appoints to us. Know your limitations and be fine. He says we're never going to claim to be able to do something that is outside of the sphere that God gave me, my 18 inches. I'm not going to try to pretend to be somebody else because God gave me a sphere in which I can function and operate and flourish. And most people jump out of their sphere and wonder why they fall flat on their face. I know people all around who've read Steve Harvey's book, Jump, and because their friend quit, they quit. Their friend is successful, they're collecting unemployment because we compare ourselves with each other. Oh, because so-and-so did it, so I, 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 oh, God's no respecter of person. No, no, no. Did God give you a sphere of limitation? He gave you a sphere Listen to what he says. But within the limits of our sphere, which God appointed us. Most of us get into trouble because we try to copycat what everybody else is doing. Did God tell you to do that? That's where our conflict and all of our struggles come from. Because we will fight and war to have what someone else has. And here's why I close. Not only be, being comfortable in your own skin, but being content with such things as you have. 
being content with such things as you have. Being content with such things as you have. Listen to what, what Paul told Timothy in 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I promise you I'm closing right here. This is what he told him. He said, now godliness with contentment is great gain. You know what that infers? That it's possible to have godliness without contentment. And what Paul says, if my people who are godly can simply learn the lessons of contentment, it will be of tremendous advantage to them. He goes on in Philippians chapter 4, and he says, I have learned whatever state that I'm in to be content. You realize that contentment is something we have to learn. It's not inherent. It's not intrinsic because our flesh wants more and more. And Paul, even Paul, the greatest church planter ever said, this is a lesson that I had to learn how to be content. The word content, and you guys know that the Bible was translated uh, actually from Latin, but before it was translated into Latin, its original language is Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and it was translated into Latin, and King James commissioned the first translation of the Bible from Latin into English. And when the translators started to translate this word for contentment or this idea of contentment. This is the word that they use. They, they use the word contentment. But that word content or contentment is of old English origin. In fact, it's where we derive the word county. So like right now we're in Collin County. And then uh, some of you live in Denton County and some of you live in Tarrant County. That's where this word contentment originated. But this is what the word contentment means. The word that was used and translated contentment. It has the idea of a self-sustaining land mass. And what that means was when the Bible was translated, much of England was divided into counties. And each of those counties was self-sustaining. It didn't need support from anywhere else or from anyone else. In fact, it carries this idea more specifically. It literally means needing no imports. Say, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? You know what the word contentment means? It means that you are living such a self-sufficient life that you need no external imports, no external influence to make you feel good about yourself. You don't need somebody to prop you up. You don't need somebody to pick you up. You don't need what somebody else has. You don't need what you don't have. You are living in a self-sustained landmass, a county of your own. And Paul said, I had to learn this lesson of contentment that no matter what I have or don't have, I'm going to do good all by myself. And so here are the four areas of contentment. Because you and I will never get to the you before me life until we first learn the lesson of contentment. Four areas that touch our lives daily. Number one, where I am. Are you happy with where you are? 
where God has placed you in this season? Or are you constantly looking over the fence at everybody else's grass? We're so distracted by what's happening in the neighbor's house that we've neglected to water our own yard. And we wonder why the grass is dying in our own yard. You're so fixated on how so-and-so, well, they hold their hands when they go to the mall. And so-and-so, he take her to the movies. And so-and-so, they got their date night. How about you water your own garden? If you were less focused on what everybody else was doing, you would have enough time to water your backyard. The reason the grass is dying in your backyard is because you're so focused on what everybody else is doing. Are you happy with where you are? Make it better if you're not. You make it better. Don't think that walking away is going to make you happier. Because wherever you go, there you are. And you're going to bring that same dysfunction wherever you go. Be content with where you are and make the most of where you are. We can't live the you before me lifestyle because we're trading our life or we want to trade our life for somebody else's. Number two, what I do. What I do. Are you content with what you do? It's amazing how people can land their dream job. And after two or three years, they're cursing the job that they prayed so hard for. It's a contentment issue. Listen, listen, you're not always going to like your job, but at least be thankful for it. And it doesn't mean that God's going to keep you there forever, but while you're there, at least be grateful. But you're on the job Mad at the people, cursing the people, fussing when you go to work. And this is the same job three years ago that you prayed and you danced circles around the church because God gave you the job, though. <laughs> but because the problem isn't the job, the problem is the contentment or the lack thereof. Now you're cursing the job and you think that maybe going to another job will make you fulfilled. It ain't a job. It comes from within. Every war, every struggle, every conflict comes from our selfishness. And we can never get to a you before me life. What if Jesus had thought about himself first? He never would have gone to the cross. Never would have made it there. Talk about you before me. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. If there's any other way. Nevertheless, you before me. Man, take off your, you got on a belt? Take off your belt. Please, I'm sorry. Let me be more polite. Please take off your belt. Uh, why don't you stand? Come, come here. Come, come here. I just had a moment of inspiration. I just had a moment of inspiration. No, don't do it like that, player. <laughs> it ain't that kind of party, player. <laughs> it ain't going down like that. No, sir. <laughs> All right. Uh, Miss Tasha, come, 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 please. Come, please. And I know you're stronger than Tasha, but y'all come over here so everybody can see you. I know you're stronger than Tasha. He's not? All right, you come this way. And I want you to take, yeah, you take the buckle part just in case you need it to knock him over the head. But, uh, uh, yeah, take all the tension out of that. Yeah, and just kind of pull and keep pulling. Don't, don't, yeah, just kind of pull, but keep the tension in there. But just pull. 
this is what most of our relationships look like. There's no tension in this belt because they're bo- both pulling away from each other. Selfishness keeps them apart. The more you fight for your rights, the farther you move from the person you say you love. Keep pulling. As long as they are pulling, there is no chance that they can come together and experience intimacy. For those of us who fight for our way, keep pulling. And this is the way most of us go through life, husbands and wives, co-workers. And we're talking across the room and across the house, but we're insisting on our way. Nothing changes. Nothing changes until somebody gives. So you go ahead and give. Just give. Just, just give. Just give. You, you give. Yeah, yeah, you're giving. See, as he gives, he moves closer, though. As she gives, they move closer. Keep giving. Keep giving. Keep giving. Put it on him. Fantastic. Tony and Tasha Stone. Here's the problem with us. We claim we want healthy marriages. We claim we want healthy relationships. But here we are pulling and fighting for our rights. And the harder you pull, the further away you get from each other. Nothing changes until, until nothing changes unless somebody gives. And this is what we do. Well, you give first. No, you go first. Notice that when Tony gave, the tension, the tension immediately lifted. When Tasha gave, the tension lifted even more and they drew closer together. You know why? You before me. You before me. And the reason your wife all the way on the east and you all the way on the west is your selfishness. Your selfishness. Nobody can fix it for you. You can go to a million counseling sessions. You can come to church every Sunday and they can pour a gallon of oil on your head. Right? Something's got to give. Somebody's got to say you before me. Somebody's got to say I will be the first one to say I'm sorry. Somebody's got to say I'll be the first one to change my ways. Somebody's got to say I will make the adjustments. You before me. Three and four, I'll read. I said, where I am, what I do. What I do. Most of us become idol worshipers. Because we worship our ideal situation. And it robs us of contentment in our current situation. I'll say that again. We become idol worshipers because we worship the ideal situation. And as long as we're worshiping the ideal situation, I wish I had a perfect husband who knew all the scriptures, who was six, seven, who had biceps and triceps and obliques and traps and uh, wore speedos to bed every night. And did I say obliques and traps? I did. And as long as you're worshiping this idol of the ideal, it will rob you of contentment. In your current situation, where I am, what I do, what I have, it's a big one. 
and even who I'm with. Who I'm with. Who I'm with. You really think you would be happier with somebody else? Really? 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 I got to let y'all go. I wish I had more time. My wife and I will be here next week. We're going to jump on it. Is it possible that our world and our relationships and our families and our homes would be radically different and radically better if we simply learned how to be other-centered and how to live you before me? I'll ask the team to come. I'll ask the team to come. Uh, who I'm with. Who I'm with. Who I'm with. Who I'm with. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> uh, who I'm with. Who I'm with. You think you can get a better deal than what you have right now, don't you? Some people really believe that. They really believe the problem is the other person. All my single people in here. Somebody said, keep praying. <laughs> be careful. Just be careful. Be careful. You can miss the perfect opportunity because you're looking at the wrong things. Right. I could tell you stories. I could tell you stories. I could tell you stories of people who are miserable because they looked at the wrong things and did it for the wrong reasons and listened to the wrong voices. Girl, don't mess with him. UPS man. Right. What can Brown do for you? <laughs> and they don't want Brown. They want the guy in the corner office. But he don't love you. Brown would have loved you, though. He would have rubbed your feet. Mowed the lawn. Brown would have been in the backyard with his shirt off with the sweat glistening off his back. <laughs> but you didn't want brown, though. Oh, boy. Who I'm with, Shalisa, people get unhappy. Contentment, where I am, what I do, what I have, who I'm with. Pastor Wendy and I will pick up the conversation there next week. Because you and I can't get to you before me until we deal with the lack of contentment in our hearts, until we learn that lesson. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious holy word.